You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Brian, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, welcome back to On the NBA Beat. We're thrilled to bring you another exciting episode this week on one of the most interesting teams in the league, the Cleveland Cavaliers. To help us get into the nitty-gritty of this enigmatic team, we've enlisted the help of Zach Weiss, host of the Across the Cavs podcast. During his junior year of college, Zach embarked on a successful journey to interview the play-by-play announcers for all 30 NBA teams. Also, he's a fellow bibliophile, so make sure to hit him up for book recommendations in addition to his Cavs takes. Let's bring him in. Hey Zach, thanks for joining us today. It's great to have you on. Yeah, Lauren, it's a pleasure, and uh, looking forward to speaking about some NBA hoops, baby. This episode is coming out Thanksgiving week. Uh, I know it's a little bit of a tough time for the Cavs right now, but to keep it on the positive note to start with, what's something that you're most thankful for this season with the Cavs? I'm most thankful that the Cavs are not oh and a million right now because the non-LeBron years have always started out so horribly and they've showed so much promise this year. And I mean, JB came in on the hot seat, not in the public sense, but kind of seeing how they underachieved a year ago. I think it's great to see them off to a hot start. I think J.B. Bickerstaff's proving himself as a very good head coach, and I think that great days are ahead for a franchise that hasn't won without number 23 since pretty much before I was born. So it's very exciting. We actually have this thing that we sometimes refer to called the on the NBA beat curse. When I first reached out to you last week, the Cavs, as you referenced, were off to a really hot start. They started <laughs> nine and five. Um, since then, I think literally after a couple hours after I uh, contacted you to come onto this show, they started their first of a three game so far losing streak and mix in with their a lot of injuries to key guys on the team. We'll talk about that later. But compared to the consensus preseason expectations for the team and your own expectations how surprised were you when they got off to that hot start yeah so as usual it started with an opening night loss and then a second loss and then then they had the hawks and i remember last year beginning of the season uh about a month in lamar stevens had his game-winning dunk against the hawks he was only in for defense but ended up missing him on a cut and i believe it was after that Cavs win that lloyd pierce got the boot and was fired. And if it wasn't that game, it was very shortly after it. And so that was a high moment. There weren't many others. And this year, I think it's been great. I think that it's clear they made the right decision to draft Devin Mobley and to pay Jared Allen. I think they can very much coexist. I think that having a guy like Mobley that's already played big minutes, and yes, he's hurt right now. He'll be back. Uh, He's played big minutes. He's done it well. I think when you compare two seven-footers, when Markinen, who should be back very, very soon, once they're all together again, that three, seven-footer lineup, I think it's special. I think you don't see other teams even willing to try that. 
And I think that my personal expectation after to this point might have been three or four games under 500. I, I had no idea what to expect, but man, they they just keep fighting next man up, and they they've even been playing okay with Taco Fall on the court. So I mean, <laughs> can't can't ask for more than that. Yeah, and given how well they played, especially when they were at full strength, I know it's very early, and we are in the midst. As of recording time, we're recording this Friday night um, of a three-game losing streak. But is it realistic to start, you know, shifting some of the season hopes towards playoff positioning, especially with some of the typical powerhouses of the East faltering kind of out of the gate? Or do you still view the goals of the season more about, you know, natural progress of the young guys or development in that area? You know, all in all, I think it's it's important to, you know, kind of be realistic and say that there's no chance the Cavs will be a top six team by the time the year's over. And so that being said, I think it's all about the playing. I think it's about just trying to win as much as you can. There's no more draft picks they need. You can only have so many young guys. I mean, look at the Hawks, how many young guys they assembled, and then they started winning with them all together. I mean, you're not you're not going to win by drafting even more young guys. You're going to win with the guys you have right now, and then maybe you know they'll find others. But this losing streak is just strictly a product of injury because they almost beat the Nets. They almost beat the Warriors with everybody out. I mean, Ed Davis hadn't played good basketball in two or three years. He's played two quality games in the center spot where he didn't even touch the court in real time for the first 15 games. I, I think they'll be fine. I think that. As players start coming back, the wins will start coming. And I think that realistically, I think an eight or nine seed finish could be in the cards. But if injuries plague them the entire year, then I just think it's it's a big season to lose for progress. Zach, this is Aaron. It's great to have you on. Now we're going to be talking about Evan Mobley, who was considered by most to be the leading rookie of the year candidate. When he sprained his shooting elbow Monday against the Boston Celtics, Lauren and I both went to grad school at USC. We love us some Evan Mobley, even though he was there after we left. It's so rare to have a young center who is so impactful on both sides of the ball, particularly on the defensive end. There are a number of stats and anecdotes that I can cite to prove just how excellent his start to the season was. Just the one stat that I'll cite right now really quick is Cleveland last year ranked 25th in defensive efficiency. At the time of his injury, the Cavaliers ranked 7th in the entire NBA. An anecdotal one that I can bring up was that exciting chase down block against Jason Tatum that had everyone buzzing around the NBA. Um, First, I'd love you to shed some light on just how impressive his NBA start had been before the injury. And then also with him expected to miss a few weeks, two to four probably at the very least. How much of a challenge does his absence figure to pose for such a young team that began so hot? Yeah, so love the USC connection there. So you got you guys could be honorary Cavs fans forever. When the, when the Cavs win the title with this core, you will neither of you will be considered bandwagons, and I can vouch for that. The problem is that there's and, USC guys you know, it's, everywhere it's a, around the league now, but I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. 
KPJ who didn't work out left so that the new number four from USC could come in. But anyway, <laughs> you know, uh, taking a look, I mean, it was the Knicks game for me that stood out for Mobley. We had 26-9-5 on the night Ricky Rubio pretty much just said, I'm going back to the Olympics for this one when he, when he had 37 and 10 assists. But Mobley was smooth. He was hitting clutch threes. He was getting all the rebounds. He was taking one dribble from the corner behind the arc and getting right to the basket. I mean, we look at his averages of 15, 8, two and a half assists, a steal, 1.6 blocks. The assists, steal, and block numbers are kind of like a young Giannis. And he's not Giannis. He'll never be Giannis. There's only one Giannis. But impacting a game as a 20-year-old defensively is not something many players do. And I think that that alone is impressive. I think the shot is a lot better than we expected it to be at this point. And the biggest issue, though, for understanding where they stand without him, Jared Allen's been out at the same time. So Allen, when Mobley's out, I would assume would play probably about nine minutes in the first and third, then sit for like a five or six minute stretch and play the rest of the game besides that. And as good as Ed Davis has been, I was at the Cavs-Nets game, and I was just pretty much yelling about how I didn't understand why Ed Davis was even on the court in the first place. Then he ended up with 11 rebounds and eight points. So clearly, also, I just we just found out that Colin Sexton's out for the season. Sorry to cut off the Evan Mobley talk, but Sexton's out for the season. So that uh, that's that. We, we can talk about that in a minute. But uh, I've loved Mobley, and I think that He's going to be in Cleveland for a long time. And I do think he can still win Rookie of the Year. Zach, we really appreciate the real-time update. I'm, I'm sorry for the terrible news about Colin Sexton, and we wish him the best going forward. I'm actually going to ask about Colin Sexton in just a second here, but I do want to transition to Darius Garland first. He's started off the season in excellent fashion, He's shooting really efficiently, which has been characteristic of his game since he became a Cav. But this season particularly, he's trying an additional 2.3 three-pointers per game, yet he's converting an even higher overall field goal percentage that has to be very promising from a guy who won't be turning 22 until next month. I think maybe the one glaring area of weakness, if you look at his numbers, this season would be his turnover rate. But given his progression, how is the franchise viewing his long-term future in Cleveland? Yeah, so even when Colin was on the court, I thought Garland was incredible. And just watching him now, I mean, he played five games, five games of college? Yeah, he played five games at Vanderbilt, and he's just coming now in his third year. And I like to reference one specific game of last season to talk about why he's always been good. It was against the Spurs. He put up 37. He hadn't had more than, I think it was 25 or 26 before. He was always in that low 20s threshold on his best nights. And it was on that one game against the Spurs. He was hitting everything, threes, layups, mid-range, getting to the free throw line. He can score. Yes, he's a good passer, six and a half assists, but he can score the basketball. And I think that when you really look at all of his value, he creates for other guys. They scored nine points in the fourth quarter against the Warriors in their last game, which was Thursday. And he got to the basket on two straight possessions in the middle of a terrible quarter against a very tough defense and put in two in a row. I think that he's the future point guard. I think he's going to get a max contract after – I think he's eligible this summer. 
this being his third year, but they could wait a year. Mm-hmm. I think he'll get the max. I think that now again, this injury does change a lot because it was all about how can they coexist. And now for now, they're going to probably have to turn to Rubio to be his, to be his backcourt mate. So I do think though, Garland still being so young, he adds a lot, and I honestly love watching him play. I think his jump shot is incredible, and I think that he's starting to play with the confidence he didn't have the last two years. And I love that Sexland or Sexland backcourt duo nickname that they've gone by in recent years. I'm curious, though, now with the news that Colin Sexton will be out for the season after the team opted to have him undergo surgery to repair that torn meniscus, how that changes how they see him going forward because he will be eligible for restricted free agency after the season. And there have been some questions, which I believe you alluded to, about the fit between he and Garland. Yeah, it's... And this stinks because I think early in the year we were starting to get some clarity. And it is unfortunate that Colin's numbers had been down a bit but I think they were coexisting just fine I I do wish now that he got paid before the injury because you you can't predict these things you can honestly Aaron you could go to someone that has a crystal ball and you can hear what they have to say because they might be really well trained in their field but I guarantee you not a single fortune teller across the globe could tell any Cavs fan that the team would lose Colin Sexton for the season at any point this year this early I just don't think that that's something that was logical because he's been healthy for the most part. He didn't miss a single game his first couple of seasons. He was just out there grinding, playing 35 minutes, scoring the ball. And now, you know, the injury would have only taken a few weeks, but I guess, you know, in a lot of people in everyday life have to make the decision of, do I get the surgery or do I just go to PT and live my life and wait until later? I think that for his career, I think this is the best thing. But I think for the Cavs, this is a mega, mega issue because while he's been out, they've really struggled to replace his value. Rubio as a starter has not quite been the same player as Rubio the backup. And they're going to have to sign somebody or do something if they really want to compete this year because Denzel Valentine is not that guy, kind of like the meme with the guy in the grocery store. Hey, pal, you're not that guy. He's really not. Not to be a sixth, not to be a tenth. Valentine should be the last guy on the bench if it's an emergency. And in relation to him and Garland, I think it's clear that Garland will have a starting spot for the long term no matter what. And I think that when Colin does come back next season, they're going to give him some kind of deal. They have to. Might be a one-year prove-it deal to then get the big deal. But I think what would happen is he'll come in off the bench. I don't know what their offseason is going to look like. He'll be a sixth man and have to work his way back into a starting role because – it's tough to come back from these injuries. Not everybody does. It's really hard to even think that far ahead now. Based on where we are in the season, how they've been playing, it's important to to think about the future. But at the same time, I think they have to address the situation now, now that you know he's not coming back. I don't, I don't know if this means trading one of your many bigs, a.k.a. only Kevin Love because the rest are here to stay for the long term. If you can even do that for a guard, I don't know what – situation is what you may have to release somebody at the end of the bench <clears throat> Denzel Valentine 
Uh, and maybe, maybe you can sign someone. I know it's not until December 15th that guys who signed over the summer can be traded. Maybe that's a date the Cavs circle on their calendar and say, all right, at midnight on the 14th, a.k.a. which will become the 15th, we make a move because I know there's some guys in the Lakers bench that could actually fill a nice role. Kent Bazemore, for example, is a guy that's clearly not going to get any more minutes and probably isn't too happy about that. I mean, he doesn't deserve the minutes over there. Other teams have guards that probably they just signed and are having an issue moving. I think they got to get someone for the now, but for Sexton, I think you got to maybe give him that one-year deal this summer and say, okay, Colin, you're coming off injury. Do you still have it? Show us this. If you can just have an okay year for us at least, play a role on what's going to be a better team, we'll pay you. We'll give you that long-term security. But right now, I think there's no reason to. I think it's hard. This one injury changes the entire landscape of the future. And we came into the year thinking it's Sexton's time. Maybe he'll be the all-star. He'll represent Cleveland in February, you know, for all-star weekend. But now it's what is his future? So again, I think one year deal, show us what you got. And if you can do enough, we'll reward you even more. Yeah. And for the here and now, at least talking about the guy who's going to be filling his shoes, Ricky Rubio, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like he's had some good performances. There was the 37 points against the Knicks off the bench earlier this season. Um, And then even in some of his starts more recently, at least offensively in terms of point output, he's he's had a 28-point game and a 25-point game, but definitely very streaky, has had some very poor offensive nights as well. But JB has talked about how Rubio brings an element of veteran leadership that the team has lacked a little bit in the last few seasons. Also, he's talked about needing Ricky to be that sort of Olympic team, Spanish team Ricky that we've seen in the past. But what do you think about his role, especially now that Sexton's out for the season, in terms of what he brings to the team, both on the court and off the court? Yeah, so for a Ricky, as a Ricky Rubio fantasy owner, I think this is amazing. But as a just strictly Cavs fan, I think you have to look at Rubio's year and say, He's only shooting 38% from the field. We also have to understand that he's never been looked at to be a scorer in the NBA. Never. He was okay on Utah and on Phoenix because he had a larger role, and they looked at him a little differently than Minnesota did, both first and second tenure. But he's averaging 15 points, four rebounds, steal and a half, six and a half assists. He's been great shooting free throws at 89% to this point in the year. I think he adds a lot of value. I mean, you brought him in to be the veteran, to be that extra guard, to be the one that gets Sexton and Garland to the next level. So I think now that he'll likely be sharing the backcourt with Darius, again, he might switch into a bench role when everyone is healthy, which will be within the next month. But he had so much. He's already had, what, four double-digit assist games. He had that 37-point game. I think his role is going to be, number one, vocal leader. And number two, I think number three, score. I think that once you have Jared Allen back in the fold, which should happen in the next game or two with Garland, I think those are going to be the two focal points of the offense. I think Rubio is going to have his lob partners back. He's thrown so many great alley-oops already this year. I just think it's important for him to stay locked in. And I think he already knows, having now watched the Cavs in person and on TV this year. So, you know, you see things differently when you're actually at the game in the arena. He brings so much to it. He's there in all the huddles, and I just think that 
He wants to win. Ricky Rubio has never won a playoff series in his NBA career. And this is a guy that was drafted ahead of Steph Curry. Well, he's had a good career. You know, Minnesota didn't know how to draft guards. We, we know that. We've known that for a long time, except for Anthony Edwards. That man is going to be an all-star within a year. But I think for him, he's got a chip on his shoulder. Getting traded from Minnesota is the best thing that could have happened to him because he was going nowhere fast. You know, he went from being on the Bubble Suns, who were the best team in basketball at that time, to a Timberwolves team that finished near last again. So he comes to the Cavs, new start. I think he's going to take advantage. I think he's tired of losing, and I think that he's going to do everything he can to get them back. But I will say this. It's nice that he's scoring more, and I do like to see that, and I've said I liked his aggression. But at the same time, he should know that when they have their regular non-sexton options all back, don't do too much because he can get sloppy, he can turn it over a lot, and he can start throwing up air balls as often as he'll throw up swishes. But he just has to understand when it's his time and when he needs to maybe take a back seat and just straight up facilitate. Yeah, you reference getting the other non-Saxon guys back. So on the injury front, it seems like when it rains, it pours right now for the Cavs. Four of their five opening night starters out. Kevin Love just came back from COVID protocols, but earlier this week, Jetty Osman has been dealing with some back issues as well. Cavs are definitely a deep team, which we'll talk about, but you know this is definitely a test for them as we can see. Farther down the roster, who are you counting on to step up to sort of stop that gap and fill in the bench minutes and starting minutes down the line? I mean, I honestly don't know what we have in RJ Nembhard. I know he's a guard. I know he went to TCU. And you have to be pretty darn good to go from TCU to the NBA because there's not been many players that have done that. But I don't really trust Kevin Pangos yet. He was okay in the EuroLeague, but... Not that it matters. He's a point guard. He's played 12 minutes. Doesn't even have an assist yet. And he's never played. He only played real minutes on opening night. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Lauren, I don't like a single option at the end of the bench. Dylan Windler has been trigger shy all season. He's only averaging three points. At least he's been healthy. He'd be the one you'd expect to get injured before anyone else based on his track record. I mean, Ed Davis, I, I don't really know what we have. He's pretty much averaging the same numbers as Minnesota right now. It, when he does get healthy, I think Amar Stevens can play a consistent role. I think his jump shots come far enough. I think he's our second or third best perimeter defender. I think he can play key minutes. And again, I'm not a big Denzel Valentine guy. The last player I can tell you that shot 28% for the first month of a season, his name is Jordan Poole. Look what he's doing right now. He is pretty much the perfect guy for the Warriors to fill in for Clay, and then he'll become his backup when he comes back. Denzel Valentine's not turning into Jordan Poole. His 28%'s not getting any better. He's made a lot of mistakes. Look, I'm happy he's still in the league. I think he's a great guy. He already had to miss a full season, I think, with an ACL injury. But, you know, him is the guy that shot that three with the Bulls last year. And Adam Amin's like, no, no, no. What are you doing? No. Like, we know Stacey King will grill your mistakes. But if the play-by-play guy who's in his first year with you, Adam Amin, is doing it, you know you did something pretty stupid on the court. I'm not a big Denzel guy. I cheer for him because I want him to do well, but I just, I don't like him. I think as, as a guy I'm on my own team, I'd love to see someone better in there. I don't know if they would just get rid of him flat out, but I just want to see, I want to see them bring in a new guard because now that they have to replace those, those shooting guard minutes, I still love a core. A lot of Cavs fans have already become turncoats because he's shooting the ball, shooting 11% from three. 
I, I could probably shoot 11% from three and I'm, I'm five, 11, never played high school or college ball. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's a little bleak, but I think they do have some options. Yeah, I guess thinking very sort of silver lining-ish, do you feel like this sort of forces the team to really try to see what they have in some of these young guys that you listed and force them to get more ex- extra experience for their development, especially for a guy like Okoro, who's getting placed into a much bigger role now, last year's first-round draft pick, fifth overall pick. Still only 20, as you mentioned, he's really struggling shooting so far this year, three of 27 from three as of recording time. But at least it seems like he, he's making his money on the defensive end. So maybe it's getting him a little bit more reps, at least. Yeah, I think it's definitely something to look at. I mean, coming in last year, when we drafted him. It was only a year ago. Remember how weird last year was? The draft was literally a year ago yesterday as of recording time. So it'll be November 18th, 2020. And he came in with these expectations, lockdown defender who will figure out his shot. Surprisingly, Denny Avdia of the Wizards right now is pretty much a slightly more developed Okoro is what it looks like right now. Despite injuries in both seasons, he's come in from what I've read. And I didn't see a ton of it when we played the Wizards. I think it was a week and a half or two weeks ago. It was early November. But everything I read about him, he's playing lockdown D, he's making things happen. And he's doing it in a 15 minutes a game role. I mean, that's just the Wizards are a very different team than the Cavs are as far as personnel, you know, style and whatnot. I, I think it is good he's getting forced in, but other than for him and Dylan Windler, I don't know if this is the best thing. I mean, we know Dean Wade is capable of good things, but he can't be relied on. The reason the Cavs lost to Boston in the second of their two games coming off their win, yes, Mobley got hurt, but they played Dean Wade at center against Al Horford. And if you're asking Dean Wade to block the big shots, he doesn't have a block this year in 14 games, averaging 0.0. Darius Garland has more blocks than Dean Wade. I'm not talking smack on him. I even have his card. I ordered one last year because I like him. But that's not going to work. I I think it's going to be good for Dylan Windler. I think Okoro gets a bigger role. But this could either be, you know, just like in uh, football every week, this could either be boom or bust for the Cavs. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. Hey, on the NBA Beat listeners, the NHL season is underway and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a death deflection, however they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. Basketball, football, UFC, you name it. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Now here's the call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN. 
at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, NJIN or PA only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, this is Nick Denning, former editor of AtTheHive.com and now Hornets superfan. And you are listening to On the NBA Beat. At least on the offensive side, Cleveland seems to be extremely balanced. Uh, If you look, doing the most rudimentary statistical analysis here, sorting their team by points per game, we talked about Garland as the leading scorer. He's at 17.8 right now. But they have four others who are averaging above 14 points. You know, some of that because of some guys picking up some slack with others out with injury. But yeah, four others averaging over 14 points. Osman, Love, and Markinen just under that as well. What do you view as like the pros and cons of that kind of balanced scoring output where any given night maybe a different player is able to shoulder more or less load, but at the same time, maybe you don't have like that kind of dominant go-to scorer that maybe you want Darius to develop into yeah so upside is that it's harder to game plan if you're the other team because you don't know who to key in on who to put your best defenders on you can only assume because the tail of the tape might not be everything it might be different one game to the next so there's an upside the other upside is that for the first three and a half quarters it doesn't matter who gets the ball if someone's doubled it doesn't matter because they have someone great to pass it to but there's more downsides than upsides. Here's the downside. If you don't have a closer, that's a sure closer, and the Cavs do. But in, in this hypothetical where it's just a fully balanced attack, who's the closer? How do you even know? How do you know how to run your last three minutes offense? It's not just going to be this thing where you give one guy the ball, you set screens, you ISO, pick and roll, whatever. It's hard because you have to basically switch everything from what it was. If you don't have an established star during a given game, then how are you going to know how to close out? And other teams have that issue. For example, the Philadelphia 76ers, for all the good things they do, they got eliminated early because they had no closer against the Hawks. The Hawks had Trey Young. The Sixers had nobody. And that's not a balanced attack. That's just three very good players and a decent supporting cast. We're talking about a younger team that's still figuring that out. I mean, I like Jetty Osman personally. But at the same time, he's also infuriating because he'll hit a three, then he'll air ball, then he'll hit, then he'll miss free throws, then he'll dunk on somebody, then he'll miss a wide open layup. This game is very odd, but the best Jetty Osman story, obviously, is the time he somehow got into a workout with Paul George, LeBron James, and Kawhi Leonard. I still don't understand how he got in there. I don't know why he was there, but it's one of the greatest pictures on the internet. You got all these superstars. Oh, it was KD, not Paul George, excuse me. And then you got just Jetty Osman chilling on the left side of the photo. So I guess he was tight with LeBron during the beginning of his NBA career. But, you know, if it's going to be this balanced attack, I think you need one established star doing a little more, so maybe Garland, and then you space out the rest. Because while all guys are out, you need to figure out a way to win. And once players get back and everyone can get a defined role again, I think we'll understand what they have. But it's going to be six or seven weeks before we actually know how good the Cavs are whatever the record is, whatever the rotation looks like, if everyone that's on the roster now is still here, there's a lot that's going, we're going to learn about them with number two not playing again this year. Yeah, and I know it's pretty difficult to talk about all these hypotheticals where really 
you've seen the team play at full strength very little this season, as well as like for some of the guys, it's their first year with the Cavs. Speaking specifically about Lowry Markkinen, I know he didn't get off to a great start to the season before going down with a COVID diagnosis eight games in, but it's really hard, I, I assume, to predict like how exactly all these guys, when they do come back, are going to mesh together. Yeah, and also in regard to COVID, I mean, Mo Bamba was destroyed by the virus. He missed the bubble, then he missed part of last season too, but he's come back and been an incredible big man. And he's not my example, but I'm very happy he's doing so well. Because a lot of people wrote him off. They said, oh, if it wasn't for Sheck West, no one would even know who this guy is. Well, no, he's a lot more than just the name of a song. He's a very good center on a team that looks to be in a position that where they're going to win a lot in the next year or two based on their rapid progression. But other guys got the virus, came back, and just put up massive performances. Everyone's body reacts differently. And obviously, people that are getting it now are coming in having had the vaccine. So they just they, they have to stay away. But I think it's affecting their body differently. I'm not, I'm not here to talk about the science of all this. That's just from what I've read, what I've heard, what I've understood of athletes coming off the virus list, having been infected by it. But I think Markin will be fine. I mean, let's look at his numbers. 36%, 13.6 rebounds. This is exactly what I expected from him. The 28% from three will get better. The key is that he actually shoots it. Larry Dance Jr. was great, and I miss him a lot. But I do appreciate the fact that Markin's a more willing shooter. I talked about this with Mobley. He's averaging 1.3 steals and 0.9 blocks. Markin's putting in the work on defense. He was guarding LeBron when they played the Lakers and did a really nice job think he adds a lot of value I do want to see the shooting go up from a lot of guys him included but if he can just improve his rebounding a little bit because he might be playing the power forward while Mobley's out instead of the small forward get some steals hit some shots he'll be fine you know I, I didn't like the trade when it first happened but as soon as the season started and I actually watched him for the first time he's a threat and I think that he can bring a lot of good things to the table and another guy I want to bring up is the former all-star Kevin Love, the last remnant of that championship team still with Cleveland. He's owed $60 million over this season and next before becoming an unrestricted free agent. And I know he was showing definite signs of discontent, to say the least, last season. He recently returned from his own bout with the uh, COVID protocols as well. Had a pretty good game earlier this week against the Warriors. Can you talk about what that relationship is like now? And are you counting on him still to have an impact both on the court and also like as a veteran leader and role model for these guys like Mobley and other youngsters on the team? Yeah, amazingly, I thought I was done cheering for Kevin Love, but there I was, MSG. He's the sixth man now, just raining in shots. And I'm like, oh, Kevin Love. Yes, he's finally back. I like him again. I mean, it's been a little tough. I think that... He's definitely soured a lot of Cavs fans, myself included, with his actions and his inactions. There was the yelling match with Sexton two years ago, or might have been early last year. I didn't care much about that. That was nothing. But the, the inbound thing against the Raptors, it's one possession out of maybe 100, 105 in a given game, but it's horrible because it shows giving up. It shows he didn't care. And yes, Kevin Love has dealt with a lot, and we know he's got uh, a lot a lot of mental health issues he's, had to, he's dealt with, and I think he's done a great job of championing a lot of causes and being there for a lot of people that needed it, him and DeMar DeRozan both. But that's also not an excuse for a way to act during the game or 
for potential poor performance. Because, again, if that's the case and he needs a break, we saw Calvin Ridley with the Falcons. If you need that break, I, I think it's more than acceptable, and I think it's great they're going to take the time you need to get yourself right mentally. But Kevin Love this year has come back a lot more locked in. You know, he's averaging 11 and 7. He's only shooting 36% from the field, 26% from three. But the Cavs are shooting more threes than ever. They took, what, 45 in their game against the Knicks. And probably, I don't have stats in front of me, plenty against the Warriors, at least for the first three quarters before the game went down the drain. And Steph Curry basically said, I'm better than all of you put together. But I, I like him. I don't know if I'm counting on him, to be honest, Lauren. I think he brings some good value to the table. But at the same time, He's inconsistent, you know, he gets hurt a lot, and his defense is still very questionable. He's never been great at that because his offense has always been so good it hasn't mattered. I don't know what I'm expecting, but he's certainly not the savior they're going to need while Collins out. Yeah, that makes sense. Zach, we've gotten a lot of information from you this episode. I think one last thing before we let you go. A question near and dear to my heart as a Rockets fan Coach J.B. Bickerstaff, longtime assistant for the Rockets, short-time head coach. I was actually surprised to see when looking him up that he's only 42. Seems like he's been around the NBA for a really long time. Obviously, the son of former head coach Bernie Bickerstaff. When you assess his performance both last year and so far this year, what do you think of that? And what are you hoping to see out of him leading this team for the rest of the season? Yeah, so first, it pays to get good college experience and have a father as a head coach. RIP Flip Saunders, his son Ryan, of course, was an assistant with him every year after college while his dad was a coach, and that led to his first head coaching job with the Wolves. With JB, I think he might have started with the Bobcats when Bernie was appointed as their first head coach for the 04-05 season. And let me also add that I had Brevin Knight on my podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he loves what he's seeing from JB and thinks he's going to be the long-term answer. And this was after the Grizzlies had beaten them, and he was on the call for that game uh, alongside Pete Pranica, who's in our podcast network as well. So, I mean, you get the Brevin Knight seal of approval, a defense-first guard that was around JB when he coached Memphis, that's a good sign. I think he's here for the long term. I think that the strong start this year, it does mirror last year a bit. I think they have better tendencies now. I think there's a lot of good things with the Cavs. At the moment, even with all the injury news we got during this recording and in the last week or two, I think JB has them playing hard. He has them playing good defense. And I think that judging on normally his timeout usage, he has a lot of faith in his guys. He doesn't need to get in their ears for three minutes during a long break to fix it. I think a couple of words from the sideline yelling to the point guard is enough. I think he trusts his team, which is a great sign. Not all coaches do. That being said, the fact that he can count on the five guys on the court at a given time to fix their own mistakes means that they have a good off-court relationship that they can kind of have that unspoken trust. I think he's going to be a great coach, and I think that he's he will be the coach that gets them their next playoff series win. Whenever that is, it's going to be JB. So you could, you could lock that as my semi-bold prediction for the episode. We'll lock that in. Thanks again, Zach, for all the time you spent with us today, bearing with us through some technical issues. But it was great to have you on, and hopefully we can do it again sometime. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it, and look forward to getting you both on Across the Cavs to uh, shed some more light from your perspectives uh, on uh, the team I support. Thanks again to Zach Weiss of the Across the Cavs podcast, which you can follow on Twitter, at Across Cavs. 
Also, as always, thank you to all of our loyal listeners. This episode was hosted, produced, and edited by the gruesome twosome Lauren Lee Chen and Aaron Fishman. You can follow our show on Twitter at OnTheNBABeat and the hosts personally at Lauren L. Chen and at ByAaronFish, respectively. Remember, you can listen to more episodes and subscribe to the show by searching On the NBA Beat wherever podcasts are found. Ratings and reviews are always appreciated as they help more people discover our show. On the NBA Beat is part of the Basketball Podcast Network.